like sands through the hourglass. <laughs> so are the days of our lives. <clears throat> so we're looking at time today, and I certainly hope you have a little bit of it this morning. In honor of this crazy thing called Daylight Savings Time, which ended yesterday, actually this morning, very early, but don't worry, love it or hate it, I'm not going to be talking about Daylight Savings Time in this sermon after now. <laughs> so time. I know it sounds like a mundane topic. So linear and factual is our society's understanding of the sequential process of events. But time, it turns out, is not so simple, nor as linear as we might have been conditioned to believe. And of course, as with anything this basic to our fundamental understanding of the reality in which we find ourselves, the spiritual metaphors abound. Now, the ancients had their own ways of measuring time from sunrise to sunrise was a day, from solstice to solstice was a year, and so on. As human beings became more adept at studying their environment, calculations based on the movements of the stars as well as the sun began marking the eons. Through generations of observation and communication and learning, we deciphered ever more and more precise ways to measure time. First clocks were hourglasses probably, and then of course sundials were developed in Greece sometime in the early fourth century before the Common Era, or roughly 2,400 years ago. A sundial is a disc set parallel to the ground with a flag positioned somewhere in it so that it casts a shadow on the disc. And as the sun makes its way across the sky each day, the shadow moves. And then, of course, by reading the ledger on the disc, one can decipher the time of day. And incidentally, the very reason our watches and clocks turn clockwise that is, sweeping left to right around uh, the top of the circle, is because in Greece and everywhere in the northern hemisphere, the shadow of a sundial, really any shadow when you think about it, moves that way. So in addition to the construct of time as a repeating circle, as that rotation of a sundial's shadow or the sweeping of a second hand or the rotation of the seasons or the waxing and waning of the moon, we in the Western world are more than ever conditioned to visualize time, not as a circle, but as a straight path. Never deviating, always progressing, onward marching in regular ticks. The minutes changing alarmingly fast on your car's radio as you're late to work. That panic feeling that you might gasp be late to church. <laughs> you all had an extra hour this morning, so I don't want any excuses. And I apologize, that was actually one more day. <laughs> but think about it another way. Imagine a timeline, right? A timeline, any timeline. History of the United States, the history of Wisconsin, the history of this church. Whatever it is, it's a line. 
straight with regular hash marks delineating years or months or days or whatever. It's just a line. And this too is a Western construct. The ancients, for the most part, didn't think about time as linear or even literal. Myth and metaphor abounded and stories were told not for linear accounting of events as we would understand history or historical research today, but rather for the spiritual and emotional truths conveyed in their telling. Sacred texts, really any sacred text you can imagine, but especially the ones we know as the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament, rely on poetry and poetic license in telling their tales. Didn't matter that Jesus was not actually born in Bethlehem. He was born in Nazareth, as his name, Jesus of Nazareth, might indicate. And people hearing the story would have known this, but it didn't matter because it conveyed a larger truth as to the nature of his being. Now, even the dominant Western construct of linear time would be threatened and eventually shattered in the last century by none other than Albert Einstein. Einstein was the first to understand that time was not, in fact, an independent constant, but was actually intrinsically and inseparably part of space itself. Now, bear with me, because I don't necessarily even understand this as well as, uh, as some. Time is actually part of space. They're connected, they're actually different uh, expressions of the same thing. And because this is so, one's position in and speed of movement within space affects how we experience time. Now, all of this is well and good conceptually, but there's another factor that affects the way we experience time and its passage. It has to do with our brains. Our own brains work within a range of times filling in gaps in perception or stimuli by literally rewriting the past with information as it is processed. So there's a simple test you can do at home to demonstrate this. If you look at yourself in the mirror, you focus on one eye, look at that one eye, and then shift to focus on the other eye. Now the question is, can you see your own eyes move? And the answer is no, you can't. And the reason for this, cognitive science has determined, is that there are periodic and regular moments of blindness as we shift our gaze and shift our focus. The brain simply doesn't get constant information from our eyes, but rather disjointed images separated by those times our eyes move and focus. But our brains do something to compensate for this. Like an advanced computer program that blends and morphs one image into another, the brain stitches together our visual information and fills in the gaps between pictures. What we see as fluid imagery is actually our brains synthesizing disjointed and sometimes unrelated information together. Now, have you ever noticed that when you first look at a clock that has a ticking second hand, 
it seems to take longer for the first second to move. Who's noticed that phenomenon? You look at a clock and it seems like it takes forever for the second hand to move the first time. This phenomenon is called chronostasis, the stopping of time, is a well-documented attribute of how we actually process visual information. Just like our inability to watch our own eyes move in the mirror, this is also the result of our brains stitching together information and filling in gaps. When you first look at a clock, it takes time for your brain to recognize what you are looking at. Once determined, the brain bridges the gap between the time you first look at the clock and when the image comes into focus by literally going back in your memory and filling the blank spot with what it now sees. So in so doing, the brain fills in the split second before you recognize the clock with the static image of what it looks like at the moment of perception. Now because your brain doesn't know about the second hand and its regular movements, it fills in the first part of the image with the second hand as it exists at the moment of realization, literally making the second hand stand still. For the entire second it would normally, plus that little extra time it took the brain to realize what it was looking at in the first place. So again, the result is that, uh, that the first second you watch tick off a clock does appear longer than subsequent movements of the hand. Actually happens that way. Now the implication of this is that our brains are writing and rewriting information in the present and in the past all the time. One final example of how our brains are not really perceiving the present as we might believe, um, happens in uh, looking at objects that are moving. Not only does the brain process images over time and fill in the information retroactively, the elements of any visual stimuli are received and processed at different rates. So human beings will notice color first, then the motion of any object, and finally, the form. So think about being on a highway and having a very fast object come up in your rearview mirror. You'll first see a flash of color, red, let's say. Then you notice how quickly it's moving. And finally, you make out the shape of the headlights, the grill, the windshield, and so on. Just quick enough to know that it's a car and not a hungry red dragon skirting past you in the fast lane. But in general, we see objects, especially those at rest and moving slowly, as complete forms from the outset. But we know now that the different information that allows us to see forms is being processed at different rates at different times. Just as in the clock example, our brain is tricking us into thinking we saw the object whole from the start, when really we first only saw its color. The brain goes backwards in perception to make it look like we knew it was a car from the very beginning, even though for much of that first moment it was simply a flash of red and might as well have been a dragon. The other implication of this realization is that we are never actually seeing things as they are in the present. 
We are always a tick or two behind simply of the processing time the brain takes and are therefore always seeing things as they have just been, not how they are. And finally, cognitive science has also taught us that there are natural rhythms in the way we perceive, synthesize, and incorporate information. There are natural rhythms to learning itself. Learning a fact or skill is not only enhanced by periodic rest, it actually requires it. Now, I know this from my own struggles to learn the guitar over the years. If I practice a song or a scale or a technique intensely over a period of time, I make a small amount of progress. But it isn't until I put the guitar down for a day and then return to it that I feel the growth, the learning. It's as if my fingers are thinking really hard about what to do initially, and then after rest, they simply know what to do. Rest, leisure, Sabbath, these are not luxuries, as we might have been led to believe, but rather necessary parts of our intellectual, physical, and spiritual growth. We must study and sleep. We must practice and rest. We must engage, and then we must recharge. If we are ever to learn, ever to grow. So where does this all leave us? Confused? <laughs> Me too. Not only is time part of space and speed and distance drastically uh, affect the relative speed of any two objects, uh, speed of time for any two objects, our own brains give us information from the past and the present and rewrite the past with information from the present. I guess the point is there is really no time, at least not the way we conceive of it. There is no present, there is no past or future. And yet, and yet, we live in a reality where there is. We can all look at our watches and cell phones and have a pretty good idea that it's a little before 11 o'clock. So the message of all of this has to do with the absolute absurdity of it all. The existentialist said that nothing mattered. And if you take the time uh, conversation to its logical extension, Maybe nothing matters in time as well, but if you take it even further to the spiritual dimension, everything matters. Everything matters if and when you make it matter. Or as someone once said, the greatest purpose in life is to give life purpose. We have an impossible relationship with time. We know not how much time each of us has left. We have no idea how much time each of us has left in that linear model, that linear construct, but we know that we are all, and at all times, infinite. The fact that even time itself is relative to our own unique perspective and affected by, of all things, the speed at which we drive on a highway or the time we spend on top of a mountain is an illustration of a universalist truth. We are each unique, but we are each magical 
and an important part of the cosmos and offer the universe a tiny yet essential piece of the larger puzzle. The fact that our brains literally need rest, need respite, need time in order to evolve, to learn, to grow is also proof positive of the wisdom of the ancients that we need leisure and rest for rejuvenation and learning and that these regular periods of rest are just as important and just as sacred as our most productive hours. If we learn anything from our exploration of time, let it be this, that time is what we make of it. And Sabbath is both holy and healthy. So in light of this, always make the best of what time you have. And in the end, make it count. Make it matter. Make it holy. May it be so. Blessed be. And amen.